Welcome to It's Not Magic, a podcast from Sixth Street about business building that strips away the pretense and gets right to the useful stuff. I'm your host, David Steepleman. We use this show to talk to founders and industry leaders to get them to explain in plain English what they set out to do and specifically how they do it. I agree with you. I think there are a lot of uh, stereotypes. Uh, and I believe that uh, in Europe and in France uh, in particular, you will see more and more uh, big uh, tech companies in the near future. That's Jonathan Cherki, CEO of Content Square. Content Square is one of the fastest growing startups in the French tech scene and a leader in the customer digital experience space. In July, Sixth Street led Content Square's $600 million capital raise. And today, my colleague Ben Johnston from our Sixth Street growth team joins me on the show. Ben sits on the board of Content Square and helped lead that investment. Hey, Ben. Hey, David. How are you? Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you here. What is Content Square? What problem are they solving? So customer experience and specifically digital customer experience has been a big theme of ours on the growth team at Sixth Street. And we've partnered with some great companies in this vertical, including Content Square. The reason for that focus is that every company is seeking deeper, more real-time understanding of their customers and how they interact with their digital channels and products all the way through the point of sale. Most people have heard of traditional analytics like Google Analytics, but what Content Square is much, much deeper than that. They move beyond counting page views and help brands understand with specificity how customers interact with their web pages and applications, what features they like and don't like, and ultimately help those brands improve their products to optimize that customer experience. Nice. That's pretty cool. And so if I'm shopping online, a company like Content Square, they're making sure I'm getting what I'm looking for. That's exactly right. And the big thing is we as consumers consume media and content and use products and interact with web pages across so many different platforms, screens, applications. If you're a brand, it's incredibly important to get it right and can be very hard to keep track of all those interactions on a consistent basis across all those screens and platforms. So it's the whole experience from mobile to desktop and then from advertising all the way through checkout. Okay, that makes sense. And Content Square has been an incredibly fast-growing company. He's a really interesting guy, John Shirky. I really enjoyed our conversation. He's from Marseille in France. He went to school in Paris. Now he lives in New York. He founded Content Square in 2012. After his recent fundraising round, he and Content Square got a shout-out from President Macron of France. It shows you the support that French tech has domestically. Yeah, we really love John. He's a great CEO. Love that Macron shout out. Uh, you know, he was going to get into the family legume business, something we can all aspire to. But instead, he followed his passion, uh, which was to figure out this puzzle of digital experience. And he's been really, really thoughtful about Content Square's growth. And we're super excited to be partnering with him. These conversations are meant to provide people with practical advice as they become leaders in their fields. And John had great lessons for us about building a company culture, balancing organic, inorganic growth, and in a sector that's constantly evolving like digital experience, making sure he's keeping up with his customers' current perspectives and really seeing where the puck is going. We learned that growing a cross-border startup into a $5 billion plus valuation is hard work, but c'est pas magique. So let's jump in. Jonathan Shirky, thank you so much for joining us. I'm here with my colleague, Ben Johnson, also who is on the board of Content Square. And Jonathan, it's great to have you here. I wanted to start with your moment of inspiration. You're at the ESSEC, one of the Grandes Ecoles in, in France, and you're with your classmates who are all going to become captains of industry and do all these you know, incredible things. And you get excited about an idea about um, customer experience. Why was that interesting to you? Talk to us about that. You know what, David? When I was at business school, I began in a student project and I should not create Content Square because my grandfather <laughs> created 70 years ago an import-export dry vegetables company, like beans. My father is working with my grandfather. My brother is working with my father. So I should run the family business. And I grew up in Marseille. I was passionate about uh, maths and statistics. And when I was at business school, I began in this student project that transformed in live project. Content Square has been the only one company I've been working with. I've never worked anywhere except Content Square. When you explained you were working on this to your family, who, your family expected you to come back to the family business? Uh, yeah. And uh, my brother is currently leading it with my, with my father. Uh, so I'm very close to, the, to, to them, but the, the answer is yes. So what, what was the, the family ethos or the lessons about running a business that you either were running away from or embracing? 
you know, 10 years ago, it was not as fancy as it is to, to be an entrepreneur, <laughs> at least in, a, in, my, uh, in my environment. But uh, I, I love to learn, I love to discover, and I think it was a perfect time to, for me to, to, create, uh, to create something. And that, that's how it began. And when you look at the, the genesis of the project, when I began at the time, there was a lot of advertising, banners, display. And I asked myself initially, should I try to measure the efficiency of advertising? Not a lot of people are clicking on it, but maybe they were effective. And I quickly understand that even if the, the, the banners could be fantastic, if the website is poor, people will leave. And that all came this initial idea to understand what happened between the banner and the checkout. But between Content Square or the family business, there was something always very important, is try to go beyond myself and to be the best. And my family always pushed me very strong to believe in my, in my own dream. In France, Jonathan, the, the, the tech scene in 2012, sort of what did it look like and um, as you thought, you said it wasn't so fancy to be an entrepreneur then. What, 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 how, you know, what did that tech scene sort of look like, in, you know, in France at that time, and and how would you compare it to, you know, to today? There was a scene, but no tech scene, definitely. And the scene was more about uh, finance or trading. By the way, most of my friends were going more uh, on working in. Uh, enterprise finance, corporate finance, trying to, to be a, a, a trader. And um, I remember that at the time I was part of the incubator of the school and it, we were not so, so many. And it, it was not like the Silicon Valley. There was not that at all in uh, it, France. So I think it came uh, late with a, a great catch-up and a good ecosystem to accelerate the French tech. And now that you've been in New York for five years, how might you compare it to New York, which I know has been, you know, got a really burgeoning tech scene? I think it's now the second, second hottest market for venture funding, you know, in the U.S. You mean the next Silicon Valley? <laughs> yeah, Silicon Island, I guess. Yeah, Silicon Island. You, you know, um, between 2012 to 2016, we, we began our initial project, growing from one to hundred people. And at the time when we we were considering that we have a mature product enough and the market was ready for that. I decided to move from Paris to New York early 17 to launch our US activities because the US was the biggest market in terms of e-commerce. And uh, I remember when I arrived in, uh, in New York, it was a totally new environment. And by the way, I was hesitating between New York and San Francisco, but due to the six-hour lag between New York to Paris, it was easier, point one and point two. Uh, we'll look at where were our potential customers, and most of them were more in, a, in East Coast than a West Coast, particularly in, a, in retail. And mm. I had the opportunity when I was young to, to go to New York, and we say, you know what, this is the time to go, let's move to the, uh, to the US, and let's begin from scratch, because it was a totally new new world from an, a European person, a Paris French person with such a charming, beautiful French accent uh, <laughs> arriving in, a, in, a, in the US. But I had the impression that the American dream was really possible. Like uh, when you have the good uh, technology, people were very open to meet you, to discover your technology. Uh, the, the employment market was very fluid meaning it takes a couple of uh, day, weeks to hire people. And uh, we quickly start. Uh, the company took us something like six to nine months to find our first co customer. But the size of the business was two to three times bigger than the size of the contract we were signing in Europe. Mm. And it was really the momentum where we were thinking US is uh, the next important thing for uh, for the company, I would like to spend a lot of time here for me and my family and to make Content Square one of the greatest software companies of the world. It's super interesting. And I love New York, my dear Ben and, uh, and David. Hey, can I ask a follow-up question about that? Again, back to business school, you're writing this paper. You're like, wow, there's a real idea here. I've heard you talk about on podcasts or in conversations, you're not an engineer, you don't have technical expertise or you didn't. Why did you think you could do this? 
So I was passionated about maths and statistics, but you are right. Uh, I never developed myself any line of code at Content Square. When I began initially, I began to hire 25 interns. And I was lucky enough to uh, uh, hire at the time uh, one of our first employees who was the CTO of the company, who uh, uh, helped us to scale this idea of understanding the behavior of uh, of people online to turn it into a, a software. And it come, I think, to a very important point regarding scaling. Uh, as a founder and CEO of the company, you need to quickly understand that the best thing you can do is to surround yourself with people that are much stronger, much better than you in, a, in every area and to give a way that they can uh, uh, grow themselves with a lot of uh, support and trust. So that, that's how came uh, Content Square at the very beginning. I would love to know to be the geek of the team. <laughs> But that, that's a big theme for you, like the chance to grow. You, you, you talk about the chance to grow intellectually as a manager, I hear you talk about apprentissage, apprenticeships, like that, that's how you view your, 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 your learning curve and your, your development. Why is that important to you? You know, part of uh, the culture of Content Square, there is two things. One is where there is a will, there is a way. That is the motto that is just in front of uh, my screen and everywhere at Content Square. And the second one is to go beyond yourself, where... We push people to learn, to discover, uh, to fail, and to grow again. Sincerely, if you look uh, uh, at myself, this is my first company, and I hope it will be the last. I hope I will be there in the next 20 to 30 years to uh, drive the development of Content Square because I love to learn and discover. And uh, I think the, the, the difficult challenge is to uh, be able to grow the different steps, to learn quick, uh, but to have this uh, area where everyone can feel comfortable to uh, grow step by step. But how do you do that? How do you reinforce that in a company, especially one that's grown as quickly as you guys have? By, uh, by developing this uh, test and learn mindset at every stage of the company. By considering that the good idea is everywhere, coming through a, a hackathon or a, every forum where you don't, have, you don't want to have a high level of hierarchy, so you push people to express themselves. By developing yourself this level of proximity, when you speak to everyone, considering that everyone is as important than, uh, than, uh, than the other, and to give the chance to uh, make a mistake, but to learn, I hope, pretty fast. So that's part of the my mindset of the company, I will say, David. Are there particular examples where you made a choice hey, we made a mistake here or this person made a mistake here or this function didn't do a good job and you, you used it as a learning, as a learning tool and, 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 and that worked? I, I give you an example. Initially at Content Square, at the very beginning, we have like seven products. And what was hard at the time was to be able to cut six of them and even to cut 80% of the current product to focus on one of them to be the best On it. So we push people to develop a lot of things. And when we, when we uh, discuss with the market, when we analyze the adoption of the technology, we saw that there is this area around understanding the uh, user experience. That is where we can make one of the greatest software companies of the world. So let's focus. And it comes from the fact to recognize that maybe what we did in the past was not good but to focus on this area where we, we think we can be perfect or best in class. Hey, Jonathan, you talked about surrounding yourself with good people, apprenticeship. You've also, I think, meshed cultures through acquisitions, several acquisitions. You've got several offices, each with hundreds of people in them. How have you kept a continuous culture and how have you meshed those cultures um, you know, as you've brought together these various companies, open new offices? It's a challenge. Uh, we bought uh, six companies the last uh, the last three years. We grew the team from 100 people to over 1,800 people uh, uh, today. So to be sure that uh, the culture is uh, is everywhere is not an easy challenge. And initially, it comes from the people you hire because they are the the one who are spreading the culture everywhere. 
They are the ambassador of your culture. And I consider that there is nothing more important in the company when you have the willingness and to the ambition to create something you need to have a strong culture. And how we develop that, uh, we try to develop an approach where you have, for example, culture crew because you can have uh, some uh, nuances, some difference in the culture everywhere. And it's the same in the US. Uh, the people are different from, uh, not from uh, Europe to US, but from different states. It's not just West Coast, East Coast, or Central. Everyone have a, a, a different uh, approach. So we try to really to have the culture in the culture, uh, in the different offices, but also through the company we bought. And we, this kind of uh, global but local approach is super important. And it's the same for M&A. Uh, we, when we bought company, one important criteria is not just how much upsell we will do, how much good synergy we can develop, but how we can develop a common culture. That could also affect the culture of Content Square, where we can learn a lot from the company, uh, from the company we have uh, acquired in the past to try to build a plan together. And uh, usually when we go on M&A, We try to be into details around what will be uh, the messaging, what could be the positioning, what will be the common culture, what we should go really into details to understand this kind of small thing in appearance, but make the difference at the end. Oh, you try and get on the same page with the, with the target management team before you do it. Yeah. So what do you do? Always, even before signing the deal. But we spend several days together in person to really know each other. Yeah. Uh, we try to uh, have a very objective approach around management. For a lot of people, it's a company who is acquiring another company that will manage every, everything. Actually, it was not the case at Content Square. We gave a lot of leadership of, of company we bought because we saw that people were very strong, talented, could have a very good positive impact in our, uh, in our company culture overall. Uh, and this approach of building things together without initial idea, I think it's a very important point when when you want to have a successful M&A. Yeah. You know, we were joking before we started recording about language and my poor French. But I have a serious question about language, which is, I think when you're speaking a different language, you're kind of, I, I, at least I find myself thinking about, am I a different personality in this language? Like I, I'm not really myself, not in my native language. How do you transmit culture in English? And if I understand correctly, your French office, which has, I don't know, 25 nationalities, you guys speak English there too. How, 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 do, you, how do you do that? We consider that culture is not just going through language. For example, we love sports. Uh, yeah. It's a good way to uh, assess our uh, go beyond ourselves approach. So I can tell that there are a lot of areas where the language is not important. When we will play uh, uh, soccer or basketball together, we will develop yeah. something. When we will try to create something, build something that could be manual, physical, uh, with the mindset, with the idea, with the, with the fun, with the, the, the humor. We try to really feel that if there is something special with the people. And I think it's go far beyond from, uh, from our respectful, charming accent, my dear uh, David. <laughs> Fair enough. But do you find yourself um, wondering, hey, was I understood correctly or did I convey that the correct way? But <laughs> that's funny. Usually, I love to say that when I meet uh, uh, a customer or, or an investor, they are understanding 60 to 70% of what I am saying. <laughs> uh, at least it's charming the first, uh, the first hour. And that's why we need to have a fantastic product. So when you saw, you saw the product with your eyes, you, you got it and you say, I need this product. <laughs> so the product speaks better than... It speaks uh, for itself. <laughs> Than myself. Can we talk about sports for a second? I mean, um, that's that's very interesting, and you hear that a lot as a, as a metaphor, as a vehicle to build great teams. I, I've also heard you speak on uh, on la qualité de la gagne. You're competitive, but you speak about the quality of the win. That's a big value for you. What does that mean? Uh, it it means a lot because we are not just here to uh, win a game. There is a way we will win the game. At the very beginning, when you are an entrepreneur. You are very obsessed about growing, growing, growing. At a certain time, you are understanding that it's not just about the growth, 
it's about how we develop the growth. What will be the impact of the company? That's why today, my obsession at Content Square is not just to make a big business, but to try to make one of the greatest company of the world in terms of positive impact. And that's why we try to drive a strong vision in the next uh, 20 years. We try to identify how we can change the world and what will be the way we will achieve it. And that is the same on sport. One of my uh, personal dreams, uh, I have a lot of dreams, by the way. We can, we can okay. uh, take a lot of oh, dreams. Oh, that sounds good. I'd like to talk but, about that. But one of them could be uh, to buy uh, the soccer club where I come from. I grew OM. up in, uh, in Marseille, Olympique de Marseille, exactly. Uh, but because when I was, uh, was young, I saw this, uh, this strong team spirit, this strong ambition, this unique enthusiasm. There are some very good quality you can find in sports that you can apply, I think, on, a, on, a, on business. And the question of impact is more and more important, I think, not just for me or for Content Square, but for all the team. Uh, player you will uh, you will have around you and let's say i i was applying for a job at content square and i'm a terrible foot player a terrible soccer player it would i still be welcome on the team how does that work how do you judge my 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 ability to play as a team i think more than uh, your skills uh we will really focus on uh your uh, willingness to uh, uh, participate so what you can bring in the table And never forget, uh, David, where there is a will, there is a way. You can keep on improving your uh, your soccer skills. <laughs> I think I'm on the on the on the downslope now. <laughs> I, I think what what really important is about the, the team spirit. You can uh, you can contribute and to push the people to celebrate, to enjoy, to to be as one team. I am a big believer of this uh, of this one team approach. So I have a question about th that. So so are we, and and it, that's so important to us. And and we have to set up structures to make sure that people are incented to play as a team, but also to find people who like find that much more fulfilling. I, I'm interested, sort of post COVID, in the tech world, you get a lot of announcements, especially from companies that I guess used to be headquartered here in San Francisco. Hey, you don't have to come to the office. We don't care where you are. Just get your work done. Uh, at least from our perspective, building building team culture, doing apprenticeship work when you're not together is very hard, if not impossible. How how are you guys navigating that? It's hard. It's very hard, particularly from a, a company where the in-person approach was so important. Yeah. Because we 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 share a lot around the, uh, being all together uh, in person. So as all of the companies, it was a difficult moment where. It was time to readapt, to readapt to the change of environment, to readapt how we empower people, to develop more and more fireside chat, more and more all ends where we can answer to a lot of uh, uh, people. Uh, but it uh, it comes with uh, new new challenges when you hire a lot of people during this time, or you are able to uh, uh, ramp them up to empower them, or you can transfer this culture fits uh, remotely. And um, we, we put a lot of energy uh, every day to, uh, to, to try to give this, uh, this opportunity. Did we solve it? I consider no. Um, yeah. But I think it's a challenge for a lot of uh, companies uh, today. Jonathan, you grew a lot even before COVID. So, so you talk about some of the things you've had to do during COVID, but maybe taking that aside, what are some of the things you've had to adjust in your management style as you've gone from the idea to 50 people to 100 people to 1500 people? You know, you can't know everyone's name. Um, you know, you can't have memorized everyone's name. Like how, how have you adjusted your management style, both to help maintain culture and to just keep building a successful, you know, successful business? couple of items. Uh, number one is uh, stay authentic. Uh, it's very important for me to keep on having this very close proximity with everyone. We have 18 offices today. I'm traveling a lot. But every trip, I try to spend the time to meet in person everyone, to say hello, to discuss, because it, this is super important to them. But it's very important to me to keep this uh, this uh, approach because anytime they will think about how we can improve stuff or do the stuff differently, 
they will feel more comfortable to, uh, to share. The second thing is to develop much more transparency. And you know, in our job, we try to measure everything. Uh, online to understand why someone is taking the decision, etc. And it's something we try to apply much more uh, to all of us by giving this forum with much more transparency, explaining what is working, not working, what we can improve, if everyone has other uh, good uh, uh, ideas to, uh, to uh, improve it. So this notion of being accessible, being transparent, but keep the same level of energy anytime you meet someone they will become the next ambassador for the the next people to to come that is uh, our uh, formula build a team of culture carriers that makes sense i think i think those are all those are all super important transparencies you know is, is key to maintaining the one team culture so everyone feels feels like they're a part of it yeah Important with your capital providers too, I assume. So is Ben a good director? What can he do to make sure that Sixth Street and your other investors are good, compatible investors for you? So first, I, I have the impression that we have a lot in common with uh, with Sixth Street regarding the culture, regarding the approach, and even yeah. uh, how we develop a, a stronger and stronger relationship with Ben. Uh, for example, I have the impression that you are always available, you are quick, uh, you give your... Uh, your your uh, your point of view uh you try to uh, be a solution ma maker and uh that is super important because i have the sensation that we have the same ambition for the company we are here for the long term and i have a lot to learn from you and that is so important to me and regarding the the relation we uh, and the culture we are developing with our team we try to do the same with our investors Because I consider that we are in the same boat, we have the same objective. Let's try to develop this kind of relationship, to call each other, to check if everything is going well, even seeing you, you didn't improve yourself at golf during this weekend. Uh, that's, that's, I think, <laughs> is very important because after it creates this easy forum to talk and to understand what is working, not working, what can we do better together. And that is something I feel With, uh, with you, Ben, and overall with the interaction I had with, uh, with Sixth Street on top of the fact that uh, you have this global approach, you have this SaaS expertise, but I, and this long-term approach, that was super important to me. We like investing in soccer teams too, uh, so football teams. So we've, yeah. we've got that coming too. Sounds like we have someone trying out for, uh, for, for coach or for manager or for owner. First, <laughs> I need to uh, develop, execute, and go beyond myself on Content Square. But uh, yes, I can tell that uh, I understand you are supporting uh, a lot of uh, uh, great soccer teams. Be ready to, to win the Champions League uh, soon, one day or another, <laughs> when we'll be together in this new adventure. <laughs> to me, it's very funny and interesting the data you've collected about people, different nationalities and how they interact on websites. So the Americans are gunslingers. They show up, they look at something we buy. Germans read all of the, the warranties or whatever, like things that you that maybe fall into national stereotypes that everybody um, loves to talk about. What's the craziest faux anthropology thing you've discovered? Well, there is a, a funny one, but seems to be a, a real one in, about French. The first thing they are doing when they are going online, they are filtering by price. <laughs> <laughs> so should we say they are selfish? Uh, I hope not. Uh, but that is what we can observe with uh, uh, with uh, data. I hope we are not saying they are cheap also, by the way. Um, but th there are a lot to learn about uh, the nationality, the way people are uh, Uh, are browsing that could be very different from one country to another. An example we we gave recently was about uh, Germany. One out of five German people read general condition of sales. And I think no decent US guy will do it ever. Uh, <laughs> but I think th there are a lot of uh, universality regarding the, the data we are, uh, we are analyzing. And if we try to project ourselves about what the future of experience look like is not just about adapting the experience per country or per state or per territory, but will be really to understand each person as an individual to give the ability to have a great experience for all, accessible, 
but also for everyone based on their, uh, their own intention, leveraging one key pillar of the future of the digital society that is privacy. Yeah, let's talk about that. You've talked about how you, you want to liberate customer behavior from people's personal information. On its face, a very important thing. But talk about that some more. I think that uh, it's not just about uh, who are you as a person or where you are coming from. And a lot of this information could be uh, just as personal information. I think the topic is more about what are your intentions? What do you feel? Are you uh, stressed? Are you in a discovery phase? Would you like to buy instantly? The price is maybe more important to you. So I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are coming from. I care about what you are doing at the time you are doing. And that's why if you translate that into content square products, um, we are a big believer of a cookie-less world. Because for people, uh, it's important for them that they have developed this notion of digital trust with the brand, with the technology. And uh, to do so, we offer this ability to uh, analyze the, the user interaction by not uh, focusing on all the other parameters that could have uh, potentially a negative in, uh, impact. And I think the definition of what privacy could look like in the next 10 to 20 years and what is the impact on tech is a very important topic where Content Square has a leadership role to play. Can we talk about the, the French environment? We've, we've touched on it a couple of times. And then we were talking about sort of national stereotypes. The outsider looking into the French commercial environment would say, hey, you know, there's a lot of red tape. There's a mistrust of commercial success. That doesn't seem to be your experience. And I've heard you also talk about just the incredibly high level of R&D talent in France. Maybe demystify that market for us. And then I'm going to ask you to compare it to coming here. That's a good question. And I agree with you. I think there are a lot of stereotypes. And I believe that in Europe and in France in particular, you will see more and more big tech companies in the near future for several reasons. One there is a fantastic ratio uh, about quality, price, loyalty about our engineers. The quality is very good. Uh, the, the price and the cost could be two to three times lower than what we can see in the US. And people are very loyal. Two, um, I, I said that 10 years ago, there was not really a French tech. But now it is. Because there is a a full ecosystem to support it. I give you an example. There is a credit tax of 30% for innovation. It means when you hire an engineer in France, you will pay 30% less their salary due to this 30% credit tax. Huge impact. Mm. And third, there is really a willingness to develop this ecosystem. For example, in France, they recently developed what we name Next40, that will be the next 40 uh, big company, big support from the government in terms of uh, uh, visibility, help, access. And same about the uh, outside investment. The last few years, we saw more and more international companies, uh, US VC investing yeah. in, uh, in the French environment because they understand that uh, they are a great equation to develop. Yes, it's not as unified as the US market. But I think that when you have companies that were able to uh, penetrate strongly in Europe and we will have a good technology to uh, go globally, there will be some very good pillar to make a uh, uh, future blockbuster. Why do you suppose people are more loyal? Uh, loyal, uh, here I will say more through the, the time they spend in the company. Yeah. Uh, for example, this notion of uh, stock option, etc., was something pretty recent uh, or developed in, uh, in Europe than in the US. And also the approach of the fluidity of the market that is different. Uh, and I would say for a long time, we were thinking that it takes a lot of time to hire or to stop a relationship in, uh, in Europe. Right. Um, I think today it's more and more efficient, maybe not as fluid as it is in the US. Uh, but on the other end, you can, uh, you can see more and more what I name loyalty, long-term 
people investment in company. That is super important, I think so. So then you came to the U.S. in 2017. Interesting to me that you didn't send a team. You came yourself. And what, what, what was different? How did you have to adapt your approach? I have to adapt everything uh, <laughs> at the time. And I remember when I moved, my, my wife was uh, pregnant of our uh, uh, second kid. So I have to adapt uh, my family, my language, my understanding about how to hire, how to do deals, how to adapt on some point even the, 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 the product uh, potentially. For example, hiring has been a very important uh, uh, challenge, particularly because we hired a lot of people quickly yeah. and uh, we change a lot of people quickly. So it was a strong adaptation to, uh, uh, to me on our uh, hiring process. Same on business deal. People were more accessible. Uh, they were ready to test. Uh, quicker than what we uh, we have so far in uh, in uh, in Europe, so the sales cycle was uh, was pretty different than what we uh, saw in uh, in Europe. And the size of the investment, you know, is not just about uh, winning in New York. It's about right. trying to win in every state in the US and to develop the, the infrastructure to uh, to do so. And I feel that. It was a, a, a bigger culture gap than anticipated. That was it was so important to me to be here in person because I wanted to win one of the biggest uh, market of the world at the time in terms of e-commerce. So I really wanted to feel the market my, myself to understand what needs to be done. And I don't consider I cracked it, yeah. uh, but I can tell you something. I will be there in the next 20 years. Hopefully in Content Square, but also in the US, my kids are more American uh, uh, <laughs> than French on, on some points today. How, how do you mean? What, what, what's what are they? How do they evidence their Americanness to you? Or you're like, oh my God, what are we doing here? But first, uh, they make fun of my accent every day. <laughs> uh, second, they, they are going to American schools, so they they only learn French at home. Right. Um, because as I imagine myself spend a lot of time or most of my life in the US, it was super important to me to give this American uh, uh, culture. The issue is that so far they are better at soccer than at uh, basketball, but I try to work on it myself. <laughs> Do they root for sports teams in the US? Do they root for American sports teams? Uh, not at this level yet, uh, but they are training a basketball uh, at, uh, at school. That's why I need to do extra session in the weekend to support. So I need to improve myself, keep learning on it. It's a very important element of the, uh, the American culture. Uh, but even myself, you know, I, I love to spend this moment and to learn and to discover. I'll give you an example. Even after a, a difficult weekend, or let's say a weekend when we didn't do so much, they arrive in the Monday morning to explain their weekend and they need to voice it during 10, 15 minutes as it was a fantastic weekend. So it's a totally different <laughs> uh, culture by comparison of what we have in, uh, in, uh, in, in Europe. At least they know how to sell. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. We had a great weekend. Yeah. <laughs> we, did, we did nothing at rain, but it was great. Well, is it important to you to convey to your kids... Um, a Marseille culture in addition to like a general French culture? Like how, what's the difference? What, what's important to you about being from Marseille? Yesterday, there was a match between PSG and Marseille. Yeah. And in PSG, you have most of the best, uh, best player of the, the world. You have the Mbappé, Messi, Neymar. So at school, they are more speaking about these players than, uh, than uh, Marseille. But what we try to, to keep is uh, also to keep the, the family touch uh, going every summer in south of France. My wife is also from Nice. Uh, so it's, uh, it's uh, easier to us to, uh, to go in south of France so we can spend time with the family and to keep this element of, uh, of the culture. As someone who has been part of a business that's grown quickly, and I think a lot of people who listen to this um, have had similar experiences, Prioritizing your time and, and how you've changed that balance to stay on top of a larger enterprise, how do you do that? Like, what are your methods or what's your framework to make sure you're spending time on the right things? So it changed. It changed a lot depending about the priority of the company. And uh, there are some stuff that I, I love. So I love the customers. 
So I love to spend a lot of time with them because I consider that the innovation could come from us, but it comes a lot from listening, listening our market, listening our our people. So I try to dedicate a lot of my time to be in the field, supporting the salespeople, spending time with customers. I'm, I'm very customer obsessed. That is a big part of my time. The second one is about innovation. Even if I didn't develop anything myself, I am a big fan about what will be the good vision for the company. What about our product? I am the one who is doing all the demo. I think I know the product better than anyone. Or I hope it is in the in the company to really understand when you are a customer, uh, what's your adoption, what is happening exactly. And, and I felt that I really need to uh, to be also in this field myself to uh, to drive a better understanding of our, of our. Uh, product innovation. And it links after about the strategy of the company. When I try to put my, my shoes uh, or myself um, into customer perspective, what will be the next adjacent market? What will be the future capabilities that can uh, give more value to, uh, to customers? And the third part is about the proximity overall. Proximity regarding internal topics, proximity with our uh, uh, investors, not just to finance uh, the next step of the company, but also to uh, understand what will be uh, the, the key element, what their view of the, the macro. And I would say when you look at uh, my top priority now, it's not just about the growing or impact on the stuff, but we discuss, but it's really about put operational excellence everywhere. Yeah. And there, there was time where the focus was product. There was time where the focus was about international expansion. But my top focus now is to uh, give this level of efficiency everywhere to prepare the next big chapter of growth for, uh, for, uh, for Content Square. Jonathan, where did you, um, when you founded the business 10 years ago, you talked about being customer obsessed and thinking about what customers are going to want. What's maybe the biggest surprise from when you were getting the business up and running eight to 10 years ago to today in terms of the, the, the customer experience market, the session replay market, all the, all the, the markets that you're in? What's the biggest surprise of the, the thing that you got right or wrong when you now look back? My biggest surprise was the market was not mature. The market was not ready. And, you know, sometimes you can say, ah, you have fantastic entrepreneur, you have fantastic technology. But at the end, if you don't have a fantastic timing, uh, you will not be a blockbuster. And it's something that you can, uh, on some point, provoke, but some, sometimes it's just something that is happening at this time. So when we arrive uh, speaking about improving the experience, the market was saying, okay, that's, that's nice. Uh, but what is more important for me was acquisition, make more people come to the website. I need more traffic. And the, the priority around the search with Google or CRM with Salesforce, 10 years ago, that was the top priority. But now, when you look how the market evolves, the cost of acquisition is high, the traffic is on mobile, and the conversion rate online remains super low. On 100 people coming into a physical store, 30 are buying. On 100 people coming into a digital shop, only three are buying. So the topic of improving the online experience is more and more strategic. So I, had, I have to adapt myself to the maturity of the market to really understand, oh, we can tackle the good persona. And we saw at the time that there was no one about uh, content, uh, conversion, uh, analytics in merchandising. It takes a couple of uh, uh, years to have that. No, the market is mature. So when you can arrive at a good level of maturity with the good, ma the, the good product and the good go-to-market, we think that is the time to accelerate. So that was my biggest surprise because I was thinking that, I have the best product of the world. Everyone was ready to buy. And I needed to adapt myself. We wanted to talk about uh, brick and mortar versus the online experience. Where do you think, if the market's more ready today, as they focus on conversion, what do you think those, do those two worlds sort of start to converge? Do you think there's, there's some fundamental differences that that'll never happen? Like, how do, you, how do you think about the difference between those two experiences? 
That's a, a very good question, uh, particularly because for a long time, we used to separate brick and mortar and digital. And now we can see that particularly in a post-COVID world, that everything is linked. The good news with, uh, it's not a good news, it's, I would say, uh, but maybe one of the, the, the positive impacts of COVID has been the digital acceleration of the world because there are a lot of brick and mortar who were late in their digital transformation and they have to readapt. And they accelerate their uh, uh, path to digital to uh, make the topic of improving online experience as a top priority of the company. But now we can see that uh, it's not one or another. It's not like people will go... Uh, only online and never uh, offline is how we can make both work together. Some of them created strategy where uh, offline or in-store, it could be a good way to uh, uh, test the product and you buy online or to have a specific experience and to convert some of them, leverage the online to have a better in-store experience. I think what is very important is not to think about channel, but to think about the customer. The customer has a lot of point of contact. When you are a business, how do you have this agility to give the, the customer to the customer the experience they want, where they want, and where they, when they want it? You know, you're making me think of, we were talking about the French market, we were talking about timing. Tell everybody what the Minitel was. Uh, you know what? I had the Minitel myself for <laughs> a while, even, even today in my, uh, in my office to remember Just uh, as, a, as a museum piece? Yeah, like a museum <laughs> one or like the thing you were putting and uh, what you have in Microsoft World when I show to, uh, to my, uh, my kids how to uh, save a document. You have this beautiful picture and they can say, you, what is it? But what, so what was the, the Minitel? What, what, what? So to come, back, yeah. to come back to the Minitel, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it could be an, uh, like uh, uh, the, the old way to have a phone directory. Yeah. You know? It was everybody had one or not everybody, but a lot of people had them. They were a big, it was a big uh, kind of monitor in your house. And it was kind of like a, a proto internet, right? In, just in France. It was an early version of internet, an early version of chat right. or uh, early version of, uh, of different kinds of communications, let's say. Does that influence, do you think how, I mean, when I remember going to France in the 80s and thinking, wow, this is incredible. And I wonder if, like, did that make people more receptive to what you're doing in France Is there, or no, no perceptible impact on the French market? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I yeah. think that overall, uh, the, the digital maturity sometimes came with uh, the ability to buy on, online. So yeah. you, you can look about the e-commerce penetration that is often linked with the digital maturity. Could be very different from one country to another. When you look at Africa, they began a lot on mobile because they didn't have computers. So the, the, the way they, uh, they develop is, uh, and the way to buy online could be very, uh, very different. For example, we saw that, uh, buying through WhatsApp or through a chat was very well developed in, uh, in India recently or in China, for example. So the, the, the speed of innovation. I'm not sure it's linked to, uh, to Minitel, <laughs> but uh, I think it's also linked to a new generation of entrepreneurs in France with no complex at all who understand that you are in a global world. So if you want to make something different, you need to have a global perspective. What do you mean with no complex at all? What do you mean? No, you mean like a, an emotional complex? Meaning that it's not just about uh, France. It's not just about solving a... Uh, Uh, let's say a local uh, topic that could be France, but ah. sol solving global uh, challenges. Having that ambition. Okay, so my Minitel theory is just wrong. I should stop pursuing the Minitel theory. That's fine. M maybe it is. Huh? I, I don't know enough <laughs> the Minitels and what I keep in my uh, in my office actually. <laughs> ben, what are the topics? Because uh, I wanted I wanted to go to John mentioned. Gee, I've got a lot of big dreams. I want to go back to that. I think that's a great place to go. I like I like hearing Jonathan talk about his dreams. All right. So we the one one was to Olympique de Marseille. What What are your other dreams? Make that list. I'd love to hear this. So. I will make you a good transition with business. One of my uh, lovely <laughs> dreams is, uh, is to keep learning and to be able to uh, learn uh, each step 
uh, of the future of the company. I give you an example. I'm not fighting for the cash or for the power. I'm fighting to make Content Square one of the top software companies of the world. We were speaking about quality of win with a good impact yeah. and with a good way to, to achieve this objective. Super important to me. But, you know, this, this is a unique company I've been working with. So myself, I need to uh, learn. I need to go beyond myself. I need to improve. Every six to 12 months, I try to see that if our people, are they the good people to do the job of today and the job of tomorrow? But that works uh -huh. also for me. I need to be the good captain at the every chap chapter. And for that, I need to push myself a lot. And I think what's important to do so is to always learning. Learn, learn, learn with the good humility of recognizing that, okay, this is, I don't know, but give me a couple of, uh, uh, of months and I will become the master of it. Are you very deliberately every six to 12 months taking a measure of where you are in your learning and what you're spending time on? How are you measuring that? I'm trying to do it with uh, the people around me. Yeah. And uh, I try to do it myself where I was uh, lucky that every six to 12 months, there was different challenges at Content Square. And funny enough, uh, a lot of time you could think, okay, good, we have structured that, that I will have much more time to do some uh, other stuff. But more you grew uh, the company, more you have so new fantastic challenges that you need to solve. And on my end, they are totally new, all of them. And that's why I'm lucky to have a lot of great people like you around me to help me to, uh, to achieve this dream. You say you become the expert in something. How do you do that? Are you reading books? Are you talking to people? Are you doing all of the above? I think it depends. Sometimes it's put my hands on it myself. Yeah. Sometimes it's to work very closely with people to uh, solve it. And sometimes it's uh, just to trust the people around you to create the... Uh, the infrastructure so they can uh, they can uh, help to solve this uh, this uh, this issue but i think learning is is even more what i try to do is in every meeting i try to say okay what what i learned for example today i learned that uh, we will uh, practice a little more soccer and uh, and basketball all together soon <laughs> i learned that i have a lot of uh, good things to uh, to discover also with you about uh, or to boost uh, a soccer team uh, regarding uh, financing it, because you are helping <laughs> a lot of uh, a great soccer team uh, uh, today. And I hope you will uh, you will learn from me too during this uh, this great session. Personally, I am enjoying a lot. That was my second dream. <laughs> Those are big dreams. I, for one, have definitely uh, learned a lot, not only about you and your company, but how to how to approach and being a, a someone who wants to grow and. And thinking about the the long term as a as a growth uh, opportunity because I, I think that's the rather than thinking about a particular seat or amount of money or anything like that that's the best way to make sure that you're enjoying every day so it's been it's been a super conversation from my perspective Ben what else before we wrap up in that same vein you know taking the long term approach you've mentioned you're not in for the cash but to, but to have a positive impact you've mentioned that a few times what does that what does that mean yeah so at Content Square when you look at all the positive impact we could have we pick up uh, four topics. Uh, one of them is accessibility. There are around 1 billion people on Earth that have difficulties to access to online content. Uh, for example, uh, to name some of them could be blind people, people with impairness, people with dyslexia. 70% of the content online are not accessible. And oh, that's amazing. On the other end, we saw a lot of energy to try to uh, improve the world uh, physically. But due to the fact that people are spending much more time online, make the web more accessible to everyone is so important. Uh, from uh, school, university to businesses. I gave you an example. We created the Content Square Foundation and we recently developed a plugin to help people who have a dyslexia, around 700 million people uh, on, on Earth, to uh, use Microsoft Word in partnership with Microsoft so they can have have an instant access to Microsoft without any issue, adapted awesome. to, their, uh, to their dyslexia. So that is one. The second one is privacy, working in this uh, cookie-less world, trying to develop a new notion around digital trust. 
just we 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 we, uh, we discuss a little about it during this conversation. The the third one is about um, what we name sustainability, where we think is not just about uh, carbon impact, but is also about uh, if if you look where we can make a difference on it, make the uh, websites. Uh, uh, with a better experience, so people spend less time to find what they are looking for, uh, less impact data, but overall trying to do the thing with a better uh, impact for our uh, uh, planet. And I think we can improve ourselves, particularly on this item. And the last item is about diversity and inclusion. There are so much to learn from uh, uh, everyone, from everywhere, and even ourselves in our way to uh, approach this notion of uniqueness, it's one of the top value of, uh, of, uh, of Content Square, and we, we, we try to push a lot for that. Take that last topic. How are you doing that? What are the concrete things that you're doing inside the company or in, in your ecosystems to make sure you're getting the best talent into the house? It comes from where we are recruiting the people or we are yeah. recruiting the people. It comes from understanding when you look at our data, what are uh, the different splits about, uh, about the diversity we could have at every uh, level of the company. It comes from uh, giving the chance to uh, uh, everyone to uh, have uh, an impact in the, in the company. And... Uh, you know, it's kind of topic that could be even much harder to implement that our initial thought. Yeah. To, to make a real change in the organization. But I can tell you something. I am and we are at Content Square a big believer of uh, the power of, uh, of everyone, wherever they come from, whatever they are. Um, and I believe that if they are part of the Content Square uh, uh, culture, it will have a, a strong impact. You know, I think it's really a topic not just for a department. It's a, it's a wide movement into mm -hmm. company if we would like to make a, a, a real change. And I used to say, when we speak to our customer, more than a digital transformation, it's also about people transformation on the way we develop this topic, but also on the way they are working. I got to tell you, not just on the diversity, equity, and inclusion topic, but everything you just mentioned about digital accessibility, all of your topics. I mean, what a great example of the quality of the win. I mean, it's just awesome. So thank you. Thank you for going through that. Look, I think the only other thing to say is uh, de notre part, Sixth Street, and grand merci. Thank you so much on behalf of everybody at Sixth Street. It was, uh, what a great conversation. It was super fun. Thank you very much. And, you know, uh, we are also here to help. So if we can help you in, uh, in any way, uh, my dear friends, where there is a will, there is a way. Well, likewise. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan Sherky, and what a great time. Thanks so much, Ben and, uh, and David. That was Jonathan Sherky. We spoke on Monday, October 17th, 2022, and I was joined by my colleague, Ben Johnston, from the Sixth Street Growth Team. Thanks so much to John for coming on. Here's what I think we learned. You want your team to try new things and get excited about new ideas and to take those pursuits seriously, but you also have to cut and move on from stuff that's not working. That's a balance between idea generation and the execution and focus functions. And when you do that well, it's a sign of an incredibly strong culture. We really appreciate John walking us through his approach to that. It's a great point, David. And on a related topic, I appreciated the discussion about growing his culture through acquisition. Content Square has successfully made a number of acquisitions, and John talked about how your culture can be strengthened through those processes. You can balance a commitment to your company's core culture with an understanding that everyone doesn't need to leave behind what made their team successful elsewhere. You can take good threads from other company cultures and integrate those with your own, and I really appreciated that point. Yeah, me too, and I think that's only possible with John's posture towards life, which is that everything is an opportunity to be interested and to learn something. I thought he was a great, great person to talk to. You've been listening to It's Not Magic, a Sixth Street podcast. You can read more about our guests on SixthStreet.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it and follow at Sixth Street News on Twitter for more on the show and our firm. Thanks to Sixth Street's production team, Patrick Clifford and Ripley Shaw, putting this together with sound engineering by Stephen Colon. 
Our theme song is It's Not Magic, an original creation by Patrick Dyer-Wolf. Once again, I'm David Stiepelman. Thanks for listening. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of 6th Street, and 6th Street is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. Please see additional disclosures on our website for more details. Thank you.